welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. We are your hosts, Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Tamarindo Podcast is the Latinx show where we discuss politics, pop culture, and how to balance it all con calma. Tamarindo is part of Loose Collective, a digital home for Latinas. You can catch all of our new episodes at loosecollective.com. Welcome to the show. On this episode of Tamarindo Podcast, we talk about redefining success, and we have a chat with award-winning journalist Mariano Josa about her recent book, Once I Was You, a memoir of love and hate in a torn America. Hey, everyone. We're back from, uh, from the last time you heard us. Well, first, we want to acknowledge that we are recording this episode hours after receiving the news that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed. So this is a couple hours now, so we're, we're past the shock and the sadness, but, you know, we just have to acknowledge it. And you, you all heard our last episode. We talked about how important the Supreme Court is, and this is another reason why we're, we're excited to vote for Biden and Harris, because how important the courts are. And we have to watch out for, say, hypocrisy, because Basura Republican Senator Sapofel McConnell is already hours after she's passed, already promising to uh, just bulldoze a Republican-nominated person to the Supreme Court. So literally, Yeah, literally to add salt to the wound, Brenda and I have been feeling all the things. We um, poured some rosé in honor of her. I think we both shed some tears. It's 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 a hard hard evening yeah. for us. But, um, We've, we 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 shared some tears for Rosé. We're doing a, a toast Rosé for RPG. Yeah. So I think many of us have have dreaded this day for a long time. We knew it was coming. Um, not only because it obviously marks the passing of a champion of, of women's rights, but also because of what it can mean for the future of a country. But it's you know we're we're trying to use this as fuel to keep doubling down on the things that we're doing. Um, so I wanted to share a quick thing that we're we're working on. We're co-hosting a phone banking session October 3rd at 12 p.m. PST. It's virtual, of course. Check out the link in the notes for how you can sign up. It is a bilingual phone bank and we're especially looking for Spanish speakers. Um, and it sh- it's really easy. You don't, if you haven't had any experience phone banking, the point is that it's really an easy way to get involved and you'll get all the instruction during the, during the actual uh, phone banking. So cool. I love that let me tell you, Anna Shayla is leading this. I love that Anna Shayla is really taking true to what she said in the last episode. Like every week, you're going to commit to doing something more for this election, and that's great. So thanks for leading that, and you all sign up. So despite that sad news, um, by, the, by the time you're hearing this, it's been a few days, and um, we've all hopefully had some time to collectively grieve and, and, and uh, continue her legacy. But we do want to celebrate a lot of things as well. This is our first episode happening during Latinx Heritage Month. So let's give a matraca to all of us from matraca to Hispanic Heritage Month, Latinx Heritage Month. So uh, why do we want to give that a matraca? Yes. So actually, one thing I was really thinking about recently is I was thinking I wanted to give a matraca to being bicultural. So that is a matraca to Brenda and I. That is a matraca matraca to most of our our listeners. And I was just reflecting on this and how much broader our perspective is because we're bicultural. And I and I know I I remember growing up. I used to think that being ni de aquí ni de allá was like something that was bad. And I always wanted to be more Mexican, and then I wanted to be more American. I just never feeling like I fit in. But now I really started to think about how that's really a strength because we can really look at kind of what values from our Latino upbringing 
do we want to carry with us? And some of them are problematic and toxic as shit, but then some of them are, I think are, are great. And same thing from some of the values, American values. Some of them are very toxic and some of them are, I, th- I think are great. So we get to kind of see from the outside what we like and what we don't and kind of create our own values and, and redefine this like new identity. I love that. I mean, I think that's part of our, the secret to the success of this podcast is that we talk about the beauty of our identity yes. as imperfect as some might view it. Like you're not Mexican enough and you're American enough. Guess what? We are both and We're it's both awesome. And it's awesome. So and y'all just, awesome. just keep, you know, like being yourselves and, and stop and don't look at that is a negative to celebrate exactly who you are. Yes, exactly. And someone else who celebrates exactly who she is and who I think is a, a very perfect example of being bicultural is Maria Hinojosa. She is a dream guest for Tamarindo. We're, we're so excited to have her on this show. It, it, you all probably know who she is, but just as a reminder, she is the anchor and executive producer of the Peabody award-winning show Latino USA, as well as co-host of In the Thick, Futuro Media's political podcast. Hinojosa has informed millions about the changing cultural and political landscape in America and abroad. She's here to talk all about her new book, Once I Was You, which this week was listed as five hot books by the National Book Review. Let's give her a matraca. Woo-hoo! Talk about Latina power. So, Ana Sheila, you got to hear this interview. What did you think? Oh my God. First of all, I'm so jealous that you got to interview her. Um, I absolutely fucking love this interview. Uh, Mariano Hosa, I just feel like she's doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing because as she's just, she's meant to be a journalist. Like she sounds so soothing and powerful and also relatable all at the same time. She honestly is goals on goals. And, um, you know, one part of the interview uh, that's, I mean, so many parts stood out, but one part of the interview that stood out because it referenced something that has coming up, has been coming up with a lot of our listeners and our followers. Um, there's a part where she talks about her, her de- she, she leaves, I think, a very high paying job. And then her dad expresses some concern. You know, she says, well, how, como vas, how are you going to make money? And then she says, papi, like, I don't know. But she, you know, she felt like she, that wasn't making her happy. And I think there was a, do you remember the, the, the quote or what? She yes, was, she says, I was a success, but I didn't feel proud, which was so powerful because, yeah, like you want to be proud of your work. And maybe that's the way she learned to define success versus traditional notions of success, which is the big, the nice house and the nice car and the, you know, the nice 401k package, all those things. Right, right, right. So really think, rethinking about like what actually makes you happy and what actually does success mean to you. There was a, a, a one thing that she said that kind of goes along with, with that. We are the drivers of what society is going to look like in the future. We can determine what matters, how we go goes the market. And for me, that was just like thinking about how like as Latinos and especially during this moment, we can think about like, how much more powerful we are than we even were like, you know, I don't know, five, 10, 10 yes, years ago, right? Powerful. And we have to just we, remember that. that. We can actually redefine not only what this what success looks like for us, but what are, what values are important for this country. So we, we have that power. And I think growing up, I didn't, most of us, I definitely didn't feel very powerful. I, I felt like I was living in a system that was created by white people and led by white people. And I was just trying to, to fit in. So just really thinking about how, 
you know, as Latinx people, we're really finding our voice more than ever before. And, you know, Maria Hinojosa's book is a great example about the power of our voice and how we really right now as demographics change are really stepping into that power and we can define our own rules, our own vision of success and our own values in this country. Excellent. That's exactly right. So continuing on kind of with redefining success, a post that I shared that really resonated with our listeners, um, I said, I'm measuring how successful I am by how well I'm unlearning the definition of success as one driven by money and recognition. And that really resonated with so many of our listeners and followers. And I think as immigrants and children of immigrants, we've often kept, we keep the sacrifice of our parents kind of like in our mind as we think about what we're going to study, what careers we're going to choose. And oftentimes we've pursued things because they were going to make us a lot of money, because they were going to make other people happy and not necessarily defined by what was going to make us happy. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's so many reasons why that resonated with people. And I think a lot of your posts resonate with a lot of people because, and Ashayla, you are a life and transformation coach. And I love this work that you're leading and you're helping people kind of explore exercises that can help them follow a similar journey that you've Mm -hmm. been very open to sharing on this podcast of how you are also constantly learning and evolving and and redefining success and deprogramming, right? From Mm -hmm. some of this stuff, like the way Maria deprogrammed from this notion of the the high paying job and decided, you know what, I'm going to pursue something that makes me proud. So what are some of the exercises that our listeners can take away to help explore redefining success. Yeah. So these are some exercises that I've tried in the last few years, just as I was unlearning and reprogramming my brain from everything that I kind of grew up thinking was, was what success meant and what happiness was, was for me. First thing, one first exercise is, is writing what your values are. So you could choose something like five to 10, um, that if that works for you. So values are basically principles for what's most important for you. So this could be like adventure. It could be family. Um, so those are examples of, of values. Yeah. And I think right now with the pandemic, people are redefining those values so much. Exactly. I think a lot of people have had to think about what is essential and that's, and you've rethought about what those, what values are most important right. to you. Right. Um, next is self-reflection questions. So these are questions like, you know, if no one was judging or watching me, what, what would I do? If I wasn't afraid, I would dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank, everybody. Right. And I remember for me, those questions, like they used to be really scary because I I didn't have an answer because I hadn't taken the time to pause and think about, or I was scared to uncover that, like what I was doing wasn't at all related to like Mm. what I really would do. So, you know, and, and these might be kind of hard to answer right now and that's okay. And the point is to kind of get into the, to the, to the flow of like even thinking about these questions and opening yourself up to thinking in a different way than maybe you've had for a long time. Exercise number three is just incorporating more mindfulness. And this is something that, you know, Brenda and I have been talking about on the podcast for, for a bit now. And, and especially meditation, we've talked about it. A lot of our guests have talked about it, but doing things like meditation or spending time outside can help quiet the, the noise outside. So that it's not so much other people telling you what to do, but you telling yourself what to do. So when you kind of quiet down, you can get a little bit more, more clarity, kind of listen to yourself a little bit more, just a really small anecdote. So random, but um, I was really frazzled a few weeks ago. I couldn't find my keys. I am not surprised. And, uh, <laughs> and so, and I was like freaking out. And then I was like, you know what? Stop. Just like sit down. So I sat down mm-hmm. and I meditated. I was like, I'm just going to take some breaths and meditate. Yes. And as soon as I did that, literally like a minute in taking breaths, meditating, like a vision came to me of where of, the keys of were. Where the keys were. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my God. This Let's morning, 
same thing. I was totally r- frantic. I was freaking looking for my phone like a crazy person. I was sitting on it. <laughs> so, but yes, the point is well received. Just quiet your brain. Sometimes we've got so much going on. And I like, like the idea of going for a walk, but leave your phone. Leave so your basically phone. <laughs> find ways to tune in more to yourself, not to everyone else. I know it's hard. Um, next is like, instead of thinking what is success, you know, what is success equal? Because a lot of times that's when we can come up with like really definitive, um, outdated versions of this is like success equals money. Like think about, instead of that, think about what does success feel like to me? What are those feelings? So does it feel like freedom? Like, does it feel joyful? Does it feel like, so think more about how you would like to feel. And then the last exercise is definitely something that might be a little bit difficult, but developing your, your why this is essentially like your mission statement. So like, why are you here on this earth? Like, so this is not necessarily like, what are you doing and how you're doing, but like why you're here. So, Deep thoughts, everybody. <laughs> I know. So again, again, if you don't have, it's okay not to have this, um, this, you know, this answer ready. But doing a lot of some of the other things, like thinking about your values, asking yourself these questions, incorporating mindfulness, um, will help you kind of lead to to what is that mission statement, and that will help you kind of define, a, a, have a definition of success that's more tied to what you actually want. And so, well, one, well let me just pause a little bit right there because yeah. this, as you're just telling me this, is just making me think again about RBG. Mm-hmm. Because clearly her why was to find more freedoms for women mm-hmm. and to just make that her whole life's mission and what what a legacy she leaves behind because her why is so powerful. Right. So that's just, just a reminder for you all how, how actually discovering and uncovering what it is your why and following that all the way through, how that could have a lasting impact beyond you. Yeah, that's great. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah, so for me, like I, did, like you and I, when I had an injury a few years ago, I really thought about that, and I came up with um, that my my why was to help others live a healthy, healthier, and more fulfilling lives. And so for me, whenever I'm doing anything, I'm thinking about how that falls into uh, that bucket. And Love so, like, it. The writing, though, very much, she helps like, me a lot, y'all. <laughs> it feels like that. <laughs> Yeah. So I think, so your definition of success, it's going to come from a, a few different things and it, and it might not, you know, you might not come up with it right away, but it's, you know, it's, com- it comes from listening your, to your, learning to listen to yourself more than you listen to others. It's from defining your values and what's most important to you and then focusing on what success feels like rather than what it, what it looks like. So here, those are just a few ways to, to start to, to, to think about redefining, you know, fulfillment and, and success. Fabulous. I love it. I love it. Um, lots, lots to take away and lots of connections and thinking about RBG and thinking about Marina Hosa and how they are led by their why. So before we transition to our fantastic interview with Maria, uh, we will take a short break, but before we do that, I think we do have time. Anna Sheila. Yes. Do you have a basura? <laughs> yes. So this is, I, I'm, I, this is contentious maybe, but I'm, I'm, I kind of want to put handshaking in la basura. Ooh, you know so what like, I want to throw in there too? Cause I've what? been throwing in there since pre-COVID. El, el saludo de beso. But tell me about the handshaking. Yeah, so I'm just wondering, do we need it? Back? I don't need to touch you. Because like, <laughs> like I feel like I, I've been really healthy for a bit. <laughs> oh, and interesting! Like, and I feel like I don't have you know, like I don't know what people be doing. Like I used to, I used to see people sneeze into their hands all the time, and now and you they, don't even have to touch and they them. They were not going to the bathroom right after they sneeze into their hands. So I'm just wondering, do we necessarily need them back? Like we could all be healthier the answer by is not no. shaking hands. We don't oh, need those also, things. My, I had hurt my <laughs> hand, and I kept having to shake hands. And everyone, you know, like has been taught to like shake with a really firm handshake. And so yeah, every time nobody would, wants a fishy handshake. Really, really, I know, but it really would hurt my 
hand because everybody was like, they wanted to like, like let me shake your hand. Yeah, don't, I don't touch. Know. No, I, I, I support that policy. Yeah, can yeah. we do? What can we do? But we'll what could just, be, you we'll don't get, have to do anything. What could be a friendly Dude, greeting? You could though? just wave. You could just wave. A wave. I mean, if I know you and I love you, I might give you a hug when hugs are allowed yeah, again. Hugs I like. But, but we don't I, need yeah. a, I don't need to saludarte de beso ever again. And I don't need to shake your hand. <laughs> but if I got to see Mariana Jose in person, I would give her a hug. A hug. I know. I do love hugs. So I don't know. Anyways. I love that. Um, I love do that. you have a basura or a calma that you want to share? I mean, basura to Mitch McConnell because we know he's going to do some Sorry. crazy shit that's hypocritical. So basura to him. Matraca to Marina Josa because she, she's fantastic and uh, doubled down on the matraca that she she basically gave such a big shout out to um, Raul Castillo, an actor and a previous guest of Tamarindo, who we love from the show Looking, from a lot of other things. We just love him. And I just love, I love the community that, all of us Latinx people in either podcasting and acting and representation and that we're building and that we support and connect mm-hmm. with one another. Ugh. Even if it's a little tweet here yeah. or a mention there. Mm. I love that. So shout out to all of that. Matraca to all of that. I guess I turned that basura into matraca. I don't even remember which one we're on. It's but- cool. Okay. Wait, can I still do my calma or no? Um, yeah, with you, you have a minute and 56 seconds. Calma moment this week is I went rollerblading for the first time since oh. I was 12 and it was amazing. And I went with two friends of mine and we both have, cur- we, the three of us have curly hair and we were like the curly hair. Oh yes, tell us what the, what the name of this gang is. Oh yeah, so we decided we want to name the gang and right now the options are Swirl Girls twirl girls or curly queen so if y'all have an opinion let us know how can they let us know we should put a little post on our instagram stories and okay. they gotta vote for it all right they gotta vote for it all yeah right. so let it us know also beautiful. contact us <laughs> so just you know y'all this is a rough time so just find ways to feel joy in between the suffering and play 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 this is a this felt like playing to me and i and i felt like oh should i feel guilty about like going roller like no like we should all play we, we should not should but it's great for us as adults to continue to just play and, and be kids whenever we can so yes beautiful well we're gonna take a short break and then we are gonna have a fantastic conversation with maria hinojosa no te vayas Hey everybody, I'm excited to share that I'm working with life coach Harry Lopez to kick off the Launch Latinx Accelerator. It's a 90-day transformational program for aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, creators, and side hustlers who want to grow their businesses and amplify their impact in their communities with other talented, hungry, visionary Latinx leaders from all over the country. Yeah, that sounds so cool. So the program is launching on October 2nd and is a mixture of one-on-one and group-style coaching support, and it's all virtual. Join a super positive vibe of community leaders of all ages really going for it and calling forward what they most desire. To learn more about the program, you can go to our show notes, or the website is Harry Luis Lopez, and Luis is L-O-U-I-S, I guess it's Luis, I don't know, HarryLuisLopez.com, launch Latinx. And that's the website again is HarryLuisLopez.com launch Latinx. You could also just get all the information at Harry Lopez's Instagram, which is at the Harry Lopez. Tamarindo podcast is now part of Loose Collective, a digital home for Latinas by Latinas. Loose Collective embodies Latina potential. We challenge false and inaccurate media narratives through high quality digital content like Tamarindo. 
Unlike many media companies, Luz Collective pays for the valuable work of Latinas because getting paid through exposure doesn't pay the rent, honey. But we need your help. You can invest in Latina potential by joining the Luz Collective support network. For as little as $4.95 a month, your dollars go toward publishing unapologetic Latina stories and content that matters to us. So once again, go to LuzCollective.com, hit the support us button for all the info. For less than what you spend on a, on a latte, you can ensure that the powerful voices featured on Loose Collective continue to be heard. That's LooseCollective.com. Then go to support us. We will also link it on our show notes. Great. Well, first off, I want to thank you so very much for being on Tamarindo. This is definitely a dream come true. You're a dream guest for Tamarindo, and it's just so wonderful to have you. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here, and and thank you so much for Tamarindo. We're so happy that you exist. We love it. We love it. We love being able to follow in the footsteps of so many that have um, opened the doors, especially when it comes to Latinx podcast. So thank you. Um, well, first, we're here to talk about your book, Once I Was You, and to me, it felt like it was addressed to me personally, as I'm sure it will feel that way to other Latinas and Latinos who read it and, and who grew up in the United States and have this love-hate relationship to this country, its history and its policies. It was a riveting story for me. It was personal. It was educational. I really couldn't put it down. And I think in this book, you were also so generous in um, opening up your life, both your personal and professional life to, to us, the readers. And I wanted to have you tell us, you know, why was it important for you to tell this story, your very personal story, while, while also weaving in so many history lessons and reminders, especially on how our country has viewed immigrants over the years? Why did you choose to tell this story this way? Well, you know, Latinas are a little bit dramatic in our lives. Um, so there is a lot of drama in my life. And I could have written a book about, you know, all I mean, I, I wrote an extra 100,000 words. Like oh my we gosh. Had to cut 100, <laughs> so I could have written a lot about just, you know, I don't want to say just staring at my belly button because uh, the stories that I'm telling are related related to my work as a journalist or living as a Latina or being the first in newsrooms. But really, it was my editor, Michelle Herrera Mulligan, who is um, Chicago-born Irish-Mexican. And Michelle and I have known each other for years. And then it turns out she gets this big job at Simon & Schuster, and I'm the first book that she acquires. And in talking about the book, Michelle really said, Maria, we do, we, we love, we want to hear about your life and kind of how you did it. But in many ways, this is a moment for all of us to understand how we got here. And so she actually put me to work. She was like, we need to do some history and we need to add that um, throughout. And I was a little bit freaked out. I was a little bit concerned. I, and then, um, and, and honestly, I, I struggled. It was hard. It was a lot of work. I'm sure a lot of um, research. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember when at one point in the middle of the thickness of the writing and just having like a crying session with my husband, I was writing in Punta Cana and I was just like, it's so hard. It's so hard. I'm getting demands, you know? And, and that's what a good editor does is that a good editor sees the potential of a book and the vision for a book even before, or sometimes, yeah, before the author does. Um, so 
what ended up happening was that I ended up writing this book where you're hearing, yes, a lot of very personal and, yes, very intimate details about my life. Um, because how else do you write a memoir but to be that level of intimate and authentic? But it's also like placing my life as this immigrant within the context of uh, immigration policy and history. And there might be some people who are like right now are like, oh, yeah, no, I don't know. Here's the only thing I'm going to say. The first person who read this book, apart from my my editors, well, and Sandra Cisneros did read the first chapter when I was right. So, yes, that is that that is true. But the first person who read the book once it had been finished was is the actor Raul Castillo. You know him from all kinds of places. He's from um, he's from the Rio Grande Valley and an amazing actor. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we love him. Yes. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love Raul Castillo? Yes. And if you adorable. don't know who I'm talking about, just go and you'll be like, oh, yes, Raul. Well, We've become friends, actually, since I interviewed him on Latino USA, and we are like artistic spirits. We communicate on an artistic level, and so I gave him my book to read. And when he finished, what he said to me was like, oh my God, Maria, thank you for letting me learn about your life, but more than anything, thank you, because now I feel like I am armed with knowledge. I have information. I understand what up. I I have the the facts and the history to now put my life in context and to have conversations with people and clarify this narrative, um, which, you know, on the one hand, we're told, you know, this country loves immigrants. You know, I'm a stone's throw right now from the Statue of Liberty, where I am in Harlem, New York City. Um, so we're told this country loves immigrants, but all of the policies are like, they hate us, you know, so so we needed to understand that I needed to understand that. And that's what ends up happening with the book, that it's very personal. And at the same time, there's a lot of history in it. And what I like to say is that the book has a lot of spinach in it. But <laughs> yes. it's like, but it's like, you know, that spinach when you go to an Italian restaurant and they do like perfectly sautéed spinach with garlic, lemon and olive oil. And exactly. it's just like, that's the kind of spinach that we're talking about. It's going to be delicious and important and good for you to eat that spinach or in this case, read Once I Was You. Yeah, no, that's a perfect metaphor to describe it. And yes, I love Raul Castillo. He's fantastic. He's been a guest on this show as well. And yeah, I mean, I think I had a very similar experience to him and just sort of seeing myself and, and, and the context that you put together for us in this book is just wonderful and beautiful and and it's sort of on your brand of, of making us visible so wonderful gift to all us all of us to read this book yes yes now um there's a part of the book where you describe you know some of your early projects with with npr i mean you've done so much so so said so many cool things and you talk about early on the that the only person who wanted to work with me was the other latino who produced quote, minority programs on the fourth floor. He wasn't from the main newsroom on the second floor where all the editorial power was based. Something that you describe as some bullshit. <laughs> and, <laughs> I was like, that's some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, years later, you have your own newsroom where, where you have the unheard voices of people of color. It's your newsroom. You're the jefa. And in your newsroom, you, you don't permit the word minority and you also don't permit illegal when referring to human beings. So tell us why these two words are banned in this context in your newsroom. 
So the story goes that um, when I'm a correspondent and, and at CNN, I'm in the New York Bureau of CNN, and I look across the newsroom, it was a small newsroom then, and I see Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel won the Nobel Peace Prize, may he rest in peace. He became well-known because he talked about his surviving the concentration camps, the Nazi concentration camps. He was in Auschwitz. And I don't want to reveal, but I do write about having this kind of obsession around World War II and what happened with the Nazis and the Holocaust. And I was always kind of like, why does this matter to me? And then there's a big reveal at the end of the book as to why this matters to me and maybe to other Mexican immigrants in the United States. So I knew who he was. And I see him and I walk up to him and I'm just like, oh, my God, Mr. Wiesel, please. I, And for some reason, it's not like I had thought about this question over and over and over again, but it was like something just forced me to walk up to him and ask him this question, which was, sir, when I write the term illegal immigrant in my scripts here at CNN or when I was at NPR, it does not feel right. Do you think that this term illegal immigrant is an appropriate term for, for us to be using journalistically and he and which is kind of like why did i I, that's why i feel like sometimes the spirit spirits move me because like it's like why but i i asked him and he looked at me and said there is no such thing as an illegal human being human beings are not illegal the first thing the nazis did to the jews was to declare us an illegal people and to label us illegal and so that has always stayed with me and from that moment i never used the term illegal immigrant or those illegals, or an illegal would speak to me, or I'm an illegal. No, illegal is not a noun. Um, and so when I created my newsroom, I was like, wait, wait, I'm I'm the boss here. Wait, it's my newsroom. I was like, we're not going to use that term. I don't like to use the word banned, because I feel like that's a very authoritarian, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it was basically like, it's banned. Like, don't use the word illegal ever to refer to it. You you can say that they crossed illegally, are living illegally in the United States, but it is an action. It is not a human being. And then the issue of why did I decide, why do I not use the term minority in our newsroom or in my language to refer to us and other people of color? You know, I got to say, like, when I thought about this, I was like, you know what, Maria, you have never looked at your children, Raul and Jurema, and said to them, you know what, kids, just so you know, we're members of a minority group. Latinos is a my Latinos and Latinas, we're a minority group. And so we're so you can refer to yourself as a minority. Hamas. Es que jamás, jamás, jamás en mi vida did I ever say to my kids, you know, so it's okay if you refer to yourself as a minority because we are not a minority. My children are not, well, they're adults now. They are not minorities. We are not less than. And so at first it started with a kind of like, you know, Latinos and Latinas and other POC. We need to own the fact that we are not less than numerically because we are more than numerically if we were all together. But then it really flipped into a conversation about, oh, wait a second, what is the numerical minority in the future of the United States? The minority is going to be white people. And, and white people 
are going to become afraid of becoming a minority because they know how minorities are treated in this yeah, country. Yeah. So we can change the definition of minority. But in the short term, no, we don't use the term minority in my newsroom because I'm not one. And I don't want us to see ourselves in this way. And I don't want white people to see themselves in that way when it comes to that reality, which is around the corner. It's just just a numerical reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love what you're talking about, you know, just the way we see ourselves and how language is so powerful. I think something else that is a theme throughout the book is all the all of these instances of of self-doubt, of, um, you know, the... the um, Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, <laughs> right. The imposter my fiel, syndrome. My fiel, my fiel companion. Yes. My trusty companion. <laughs> tu, tu sombra, syndrome. right? The shadow that, that, that doesn't leave. But there's also, too, another another shadow is also all of your, um, I think there's like this network of, of, of there's the lips, right? <laughs> the, the Which is fantastic. I think that's great. For, for our listeners, what does lips, lips stand for? This is a group of women who famously protected our secrecy and our identity because we did this as a kind of form of secrecy just like this is our thing that none of y'all are ever going to know about um we are now 30 years old or about to turn 30 years old and so the fact that i'm now talking about lips is kind of funny um (laughs) And it's becoming a thing. And I actually thought, oh, my God, there are going to become there are going to be other groups of women that are going to sprout up and they're going to want to be lips. And it's like, wow, I can just see it. I can feel it. So basically what lips stands for is when we first created this group about 30 years ago. So we were much younger. We were in the beginnings of our careers, all of us, Latinas from all different backgrounds in New York, Puerto Ricana, Cubana, Peruana, Colombiana, Mexicana, all of us, you know, but basically now living um, in New York or New Jersey. And um, we, we, labeled, we were like, what should we call ourselves? And we were like, lips, Latinas in power Sort of. The S was <laughs> sort for sort of because we were all, we were young. We were starting out. We were kind of in power, but not really. Well, now we are in power. I mean, members of the group include Rosana Rosado, who is the current Secretary of State of New York State. <laughs> so, you know, she was like the editor and publisher of El Diario La Prensa, and now she is actually the Secretary of New York of the state. Um, you know, other journalists uh, who ended up at the New York Times, Mireya Navarro, the author's. Sandra Guzman, you know, so we have all come into our power, but um, all we do when we came together um, and we literally just created this, I mean, Rosana and I were just like, let's do this. Let's find these other Latina journalists who are out there and just get together because we see each other at news conferences. I mean, we should be talking to each other. And very early on, we decided that all we were going to do was to get together. Punto. Every single one of us was leading. So, I mean, Elaine, uh, Evelyn Hernandez at that point was like the head of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. Um, you know, so all of us had very high level positions. We were doing things and we were like, this is going to be our group of Latinas where we get together and do nothing but just hang out. Acotorrear, como se dice in Mexican Spanish, or el bochinche, como se dice in Caribbean Spanish, or el chisme, como se dice. You know, I don't really drink because I get drunk really fast, but, you know, a little bit of a drink, have music, cook, 
eat together. And so, yeah, so we we inspired each other to believe in our power because we could see it in each other. And I get I guess that's the kind of like if there was an essence of what lips should be like as Latinas read this and say, well, I want to do that, too. It's basically just to get together and support each other in a very authentic kind of loving way and to gently make sure that we see our power. Don't That's have to wonderful. prove anything. It's just by being who we are that we're like, damn, she's a badass. Or, or you did that? You did what? You ran a marathon? Or you left your job at the New York Times and you're doing this? Or you, you know, you're creating a new company? Or, ah, orale. So it's a way to love ourselves as Latinas because, well, y'all know, ain't like a lot of people going to be throwing us some love. We're going to have to do it for ourselves uh, first. That's wonderful. No, I think that's, I loved hearing about lips and I love hearing all the examples of the times that, that your amigas, your, your mentors and others revealed what was so evident, right? That you were totally capable and that you have a wonderful, authentic voice that people should hear and, and how important friends and amigas and mentors were, were to making sure that you were able to take that extra nudge that you might have needed for some of the major decisions that you made in your life. I think that was just wonderful to share that with, with your readers. Oh, thank you for, thank you for noticing that. It's because it's better that, you know, when you live with the imposter syndrome todo el tiempo, you, you need somebody to just say, no, 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 dale, gas, échale, puedes. So I appreciate you you noticing that. Yeah. So um, shifting to um, notions of success, you know, so many memoirs are like about, wow, how did they make it? What was their path? Like, I want to be as successful. And, you know, you were the first Latina in many newsrooms. You got to work at NPR, CBS, CNN. You got to write for Walter Cronkite. I mean, amazing things. But you also talk about instances where you were disgusted with some of the work that you had to endure, some of the work that was hurting your journalist's heart. And so there's a, a line that I thought was very powerful where you say, I was a success, but I didn't feel proud. So can you tell us a little bit about you know, what was the thinking behind that phrase and, and how did it help redefine notions of success for you? Yeah, thank you for asking this question, um, because you know, as an immigrant myself with immigrant parents, it was a lot about the success. Um, you know, I think my father, may he rest in peace, wanted me to be stable, um, financially settled. And I remember when I told him I wanted to be a journalist, he said, Entonces vas a trabajar como para CBS or ABC or... Y le dije, pues no sé, papi, la verdad, I don't know, because that's not what's motivating me. To be a journalist, but I know that he was like, no, pero, ¿cómo vas a sobrevivir? You know, how are you going to do this? That's kind of, you know, in the beginning, the first five years of my career, I end up taking a position uh, at CBS News, working first at network radio, and then I did um, morning television for CBS. And I was basically working as a, as a morning television show booker. And what that means Back then, I, I think it's especially now, CBS morning television is different than the other shows. But it was like you kind of had to go after getting that guest. And they were very news-oriented shows. So I write about the time that, you know, working as a booker, I was sent to Chicago to cover a story of a shooting. I mean, this was three people who were shot in a home. And it was a big, big story 
it happened in Winnetka, Illinois, right outside of Chicago and the suburbs. And I think about now how a story about three people being shot in Winnetka wouldn't even, you know, make a blip. But I was like competing with people to try to get people who had just survived a horror to talk about it. And I was like, wait a second, this is not this is not what I want to do as a journalist. And I had to quit. You know, I made a decision. I I was like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to. And I talked to my students. Now, of course, as you know, I'm Mexican. So I have 16 different jobs. One of them is that I'm a professor (laughs) at Barnard College. And so I tell my students, I talk to them a lot about, you know, the golden handcuffs that, you know, sure, you you may want to go and get that corporate job, especially if you have debt and especially if you want to kind of prove to your familia that it was worth it, this sacrifice. But be careful because then you suddenly will have handcuffs on you. They'll be gold. But you'll be in the prison of, I have to make this much money in order to survive and to keep up with the Joneses and this whole very, yes, um, status-oriented, you know, bottom-line economics, um, you know, if you will, very capitalist kind of like, you know, I am what I'm worth mentality. And so, psh, I walked away from a gig at CBS News where I had a really good salary for a kid. I was a kid. I remember, like, I was a kid and I had a solid salary. I walked away from it because I was like, I I can see how this is going to be just too enticing. And then I'm going to have to stay here because I'm going to be living a life that I'm going to need a salary like this to pay for it. Because who doesn't want a great apartment with a doorman, you know, in a beautiful building with large windows and lots of light in Manhattan in a cool neighborhood? Of course I wanted that. But I, I haven't had that in my life in Manhattan because I chose not to take those jobs and then have to pay that kind of exorbitant rent or mortgage. I've lived in communities that are our communities because I feel more at home here, but also and also it's financially what I can afford. Um, And so I really think in this time when we're thinking about what's important and what is success, we have to think about these questions. And, And Latinos and Latinas have to think about this. All immigrants do, of course, all people of color and people who read the book, of course, because we're the drivers of what society is going to look like in the future. We are the ones who are going to determine what matters. Latinas are the most powerful consumer group in the United States of America. You know that. And so how we go, goes the market. So if Latinas are saying, hey, you know, we actually want to, we are going to prioritize, you know, our families and childcare over, you know, big salaries. Well, you know, people, businesses will start responding to that. So I, I just like to flip this and, and make us have more power in the conversation about what success looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I love that you referenced that. I think there's also the, this theme of wrestling with like the perfect Mexican daughter, <laughs> like, and the notion of being the great, you know, the good wife, but then wrestling with wanting to be a successful journalist in this capitalist society. And I, I think one of the gifts of this book is just getting to hear that inner dialogue that you went through that so many of us can identify with and, and, just revealing how that journey was for you. And I just can't recommend this book enough for, for readers to feel seen, for readers to know that you can follow what 
makes you proud and find a path to success. I just think it's a wonderful book and everybody needs to get their copy. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I really like what you're picking up because everybody who asks me about the book reads it and it has a there something resonates with them. So I love these very particular kind of issues that are touching you. And it's interesting because when you're writing a book like this, of course, you're it's a quite a lonely process. You know, it's just you and your computer every day. And I don't, you know, the fact that people are now kind of saying, oh, my God, I feel so seen. Oh, my God, I thought I felt the same thing. Oh, my God. I'm like, wow, they were that. So I really encourage people to think about how we share our stories because we do see ourselves in each other. And it's a way in which we can learn and grow. Because it's very scary <laughs> what we're doing. Just being a Latina in the United States of America in 2020 is a scary experiment right now. So it is good to to hear our stories and apoyarnos unas a las otras, otros a los otros. It's important. Beautiful. Okay, well, um, it's amazing. I, I want to shift to our rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests. And uh, the first one is, what gets your, your matraca, your shout out? What's something that you really want to celebrate? In life, you mean? In, it could be anything. It could be in life. You know, what gets your matraca? And I have my matraca in my hand. <laughs> I'm going to play it <laughs> once you tell us what you're going to shout out. Look, I I think like when when people ask me those things, like what are the things that you love? I mean, I love having time to be with my family without having anything to do but be with them. Wonderful. That yeah. is something that I really love. Y ellos me lo exigen and I'm glad that they demand that of me because I, I thrive there. And I thrive every morning at seven o'clock in the morning with my people working out in the park, you know, boxing, jumping around, dancing. And and meditating. <laughs> so it's kind of like weird thing. But those are the things that make me feel celebrated as a human being and loved. And I guess if you ask me like what? No, pues el poder del pueblo. <laughs> I think that if you ask me like, no, pero que te pone like el poder del pueblo, los artistas, la música, el hecho de que, you know, we don't stop. Oyeme, that's that is what inspires me for sure. I love it. I'm going to play my matraca now. Matraca to, to all of that. Uh, and as you described the last part, is, and especially it makes me think of describing this, uh, you know, this pan Latino party all the time, pachanga atmosphere that you had with all your neighbors. <laughs> I wanted to go hang out with and party with all of you all. <laughs> as you described. It was fun. We had a good time. <laughs> Wonderful times. Now, um, what goes in la basura? Could be a person, place, thing, something you're canceling, something you're done with. Could be big, could be small, but no, no Trumps because Trump already goes in la basura like everyone already puts him there. So, uh, someone new or something new that goes in la basura. Ah, pues obviamente the self-doubt. Mm, yes. The rumination about our insecurity, the imposter syndrome, the la vocecita que siempre te dice no puedes, como se te ocurre, you know, all of that goes into la basura pa' quick. Um, you know, I, I was almost going to say, and you know, people who who want to support this moment in terms of this administration, and I'm like, I don't want to put people who, um, you know, because you mentioned Trump, I don't want to put people who support him in la basura i want to understand them although this is a very scary time because people feel like we are being put into la basura and i think that is that's the hard part that's why my basurero is filled with yeah throw away the self-doubt 
Yeah. Hay que creérnoslos, hay que creérnoslos. Y ser humildes al mismo tiempo, which we got that. Yes, yes, I love that. So pouring, putting la basura, the self-doubt. Okay, and then lastly, you did kind of touch on this, but um, what, what, how do you stay grounded? Where do you get your calma? Yeah, it's the meditation. It's the working out. It's the, you know, I never had a dog. Uh, my son brought home a dog from college. And of course, he's living with us now in the pandemic. Um, so I, I stay grounded also through nature. I communicate very, you know, I, yeah, nature is really important to me. Um, and, and connected to that, I would say, is my kind of spirituality. I, you know, I have my ofrenda. It's at the front of my house. I see it every day. Um, now that it's cooler out, I'll light the candle. Every day it was just too hot to be lighting a candle. Um, but I'll light my candle every day. And my gratitude, I, You know, as immigrants, we're always working so hard. And and the American side of us is really trained to look at the glass half empty all the time. It's always mm. like, que nos falta? What are we doing wrong? It's like a very negative. Yeah. And so the immigrante in me, the Mexican in me, the ancestral part of me is like, no, mamita, hay que tener gracias. Gracias por todas las bendiciones que tienes, because I have many. Um, and that The gratefulness powers me through the part that makes me sad for, for all of the bad things that we're living through right now. Wonderful. Well, what a, what a gift you are to all of us. I'm so excited again that you are, took the time to join us today and to tell us more about Once I Was You. And uh, everyone, again, should, should pick that up. And I have to hear it. You have to say it. You have to say, no te vayas. <laughs> <laughs> no te vayas. Quédate con nosotros. You know, it's interesting because at some point we actually thought about naming the book, like, Stay With Us, No Te Vayas. Uh. And um, and then my, my, my publishers and editors were like, you're crazy. I mean, it's like, it, it's because it, I, I really love the title, Once I Was You, but it took us a long time to get there. And people do, by the way, when I say, stay with us, no te vayas, a lot of people are like, what is Maria Hinojosa really trying to say to us? And I'm like, what? People have said, are you just really making a political statement? Don't leave. And I'm like, well, okay, if you say so. So you take it how it is, but yeah, spiritually, politically, uh, metaphysically, emotionally, no te vayas. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you so, so much, Maria. This is phenomenal. Wow. We can't wait to release this. Um, thank you very, very much. And thank you for this book. I loved it. Uh, muchísimas gracias. And thank you for such a beautiful interview and for Tamarindo Podcast. Again, we're so thankful. We need more creators all over the place. Trust your voice. Trust your power. And gracias. Muchas gracias. Thank you, Maria. Bye-bye. Tamarindo Podcast is independently produced by Ana Sheila Victorino and Brenda Gonzalez. Jeff DeVoe provides original music and sound engineering, and Michelle Andrade provides editing and production support. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and at Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. And if you like the show, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com.
Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI, 220099 